the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be together. In a few moments, we'll hear again a second time in a couple of days from John Schlafly, but also an update from Chris Shemelinski. Chris Shemelinski is over at this uh, Numbers USA. NumbersUSA.org is their website. Great group, great people. Chris is wonderful. We're going to talk about immigration and the reality over this Independence Day uh, of the problem of immigration, that we are out of control in this country, that we are not um, bringing in the immigrants with a plan, with a vision. That's not the, that's the right word. Not Forget the plan. Just a vision uh, for what is to be, what um, uh, the uh, the um, reality um, that uh, of immigration in this country and what a mess it is. Um, so uh, we have um, a lot of work to do. We'll talk about that in a moment. But first, let me talk to you about something that I think is important. Um, we have a yet another jobs report that came out uh, earlier on Friday, basically uh, disappointing numbers, but still grow, still enough jobs. And everybody's talking about now the Fed's going to raise rates again. They have to that the economy's off off uh, uh, still not is still off kilter. But here's the problem. I've got to tell you the problem Uh, over the Independence Day weekend, over the long weekend, something became clear to me with all of our family home. We did what a lot of families do. And we had traditions that we've done where we'd gather in certain places and do certain things. We had a parade in our town. We have uh, fireworks and all. But a couple of places over the last week, we ate out as a family because we often did that. One place of pizzeria, another place is actually uh, only some of our family, my daughter and my wife and I uh, like Thai food. The other kids don't, but we had Thai food. We went to restaurants that we've gone to before. And I have to say, the cost of going out to eat of the food was up dramatically, uh, at least 25%. So now, to be clear, we probably haven't had Thai food in at least a year, could have been two years, because we haven't been back to that. I'm not sure when we were back to that uh, Thai restaurant. And we haven't had that pizzeria in at least a year, because it's over with, with the, where we go uh, during the 4th of July, during that time period. And so it's extraordinary to me to realize how much food has gone up. In and and that's what caught my eye. Now, uh, now I position that in the midst of uh, understanding that one of the uh, causes of the unrest in France, one of the one argument made, not that nobody can say the cause for sure. One argument made is that food prices have gone up dramatically in Europe. Food prices have gone up in the last year dramatically in especially in places like France. So a year ago, you would have bought a loaf of bread for a, a dollar. And this year you'd buy it and it'd be a dollar fifty dramatically like that. And that people have been the unrest amongst lower income people has been particularly uh, anxious. Now, I'm not sure I buy it as a cause, but I certainly buy it as a reality and the reality for a lot of people. And now think about what it's like. If you're someone who has less income, 
has less options. You know, you cannot uh, decide you're going to change up if you live in a neighborhood and a community where, you know, there's only a handful of places that you go to eat or buy your food and you, you're not going to go uh, shop around. You're not going to have as much flexibility in the economic, broadly in the economic sense, you're, you're not going to have as many options. And so one of the things I want to bring to your attention, oh, and, and the, the columnist who was writing about this uh, did refer to the fact that at various times in history, uh, people have gotten uh, torqued over f- uh, prices of food and prices of, say, tea. In the case of tea, it wasn't the prices, it was a tax on tea in our founding period. But that things that hit home for a broader set of people, more common folk, have an impact on how things go. And that was the argument this person was making. I would say this. There is something wrong with our economic indicators. If the economy is gaining jobs and the stock market is going up, but more and more people are feeling the crunch of the inflationary prices around things like food, because I can't even complain about gas prices. Gas prices have come down a bit. I mean, it looks like gas prices have sort of certainly stabilized and gone down a little bit. I mean, it's still expensive, more expensive than when, when the previous president was in where we had a, you know, all all uh, hands on deck. You would drill and you do everything else. The reality is food prices are up and it's affecting a lot of people and it's not going away. It's not it's not uh, sliding back. In fact, if anything, it's going the opposite way. It's it's more broadly clear to me that milk is up. Eggs were up for a while. People realize that uh, bacon. I told you in that one, bacon is up. You know, these sort of staple foods, things are up. But another factor in Europe, by the way, is the uh, Ukrainian war impacts a lot of the uh, food. Uh, the bread Ukraine is often referred to as the breadbasket of Europe because of the grain and and uh, the agriculture that comes out of the the uh, sort of fertile lands in Ukraine. And so, but that's affected the prices. The prices have gone up there. So what's going to happen when we get to going back to school where people really start to feel you can't adjust. If you have the summers where people are on vacation, they feel like things are different. Get back to school in America and you're going to see that impact even more. So I, I have to say it's um it is a factor that I had not noticed. Maybe I was like the uh, frog in the in the hot water. I was just getting used to it and where my day-to-day life whereas when we were on this holiday period where Independence Day where we did some things that we usually do when we're on vacation and we noticed it that I was struck by how uh, costly it was. So listen, what you need to know is when peace when people when people uh are feeling that crunch, it's going to have an impact. And so across Europe, by the way, there's a Spanish election in the next few weeks. There'll be some other elections. I th- I'm not sure if France is up, but there'll be elections. And then, of course, we go into 2024 when the European Parliament has their elections. Those elections are going to take place in the spring, in the spring in some of the countries and into the summer for the European Parliament. Um, and then, of course, our elections. And so the question is, what will have changed And will things have changed for the worse? And if they are for the worse, what's the impact? What's the impact? Because, you know, go all the way back to the uh, 1992, where the immensely popular George H.W. Bush, president of the United States, was running for reelection. And everyone said, oh, he just won the Gulf War in a, you know, in a a minute. He's going to be so popular. By the time he was on the ballot in November of 92, the economy was it stupid as the phrase that was on the wall of the uh, campaign um, 
committee, the campaign uh, uh, headquarters of the of the uh, Bill Clinton campaign for presidency. It said it's the economy, stupid, famously. And it was. And I think that's what, you know, more and more people feel economically like the swamp is doing fine. And the people in the swamp are taking care of themselves and they will not be impacted. But the rest of us, we're swimming upstream in an economy that seems to be going faster and faster against us. Food prices, um, the cost of uh, of your loans. If you have a, if you have a, I, I was hearing this, the statistics on this. A lot of people have a loan on their home. If you have a loan on your home, a lot of people have a second loan. And either one of those, if they're on adjusted rates, are the cost of the loans are going up. The cost of the loans are going up dramatically, and they're going to go up again in the next few months. You're going to see the Fed raise rates again. So what will the impact be on elections? We'll see. We'll see. All right. One follow-up, one more thing, what you need to know, one follow-up for you. I did speak in the last couple of weeks about Moms for Liberty, Moms for Liberty, based in Florida, national in scope. Moms for America is our old friend, Kimberly Fletcher, originally based in Nebraska. She's now living in down in uh, Southern uh, uh, Missouri where she has had family, I think. And so she moved there, but they're national also two groups. One of the things I was telling someone is the reality of those groups is that they often there'll be four or five or six groups in the same space. And so when you hear Moms for Liberty, you think of one thing, well, Moms for America, and they're overlapping. Now, Moms for Liberty, I think, is focused more on school board races, and Moms for America is focused more broadly on empowering um, families and moms, especially in terms of politics. But both are doing really good work. Both are doing really good work and uh, making a big difference. So I just wanted to mention that because one of my friends, uh, one of our Phyllis Schlafly Eagles heard me speaking about it and said, oh, yeah, that's Kimberly Fletcher. Well, two different groups uh, that are in this space uh, helping empower moms, especially. Um, all right. And we will I'll follow up on both of those efforts. I, I, I sent Kimberly Fletcher a text asking her for some uh, updates so that I could make sure you all heard about it. So uh, a lot happening out there um, in the uh, in the communities close to our elections. Uh, close to uh, the uh, local elections is what I mean. All right, let me say, uh, wrapping up too on this, I want to make sure to point you to phyllisschlafly.com. In a few moments, we will talk with John Schlafly on his column, which is posted there. But also, if you're not signed up for the daily email, the daily wink, sign up there. And you also will get our emails uh, as we send out more and more of, uh, we're rolling them out over these last six, uh, excuse me, it's about two and a half weeks. Uh, and we'll be continuing to do it for a few more weeks, a total of about six weeks of the um uh, collegians participants, Jason Smith, the congressman who is from Missouri, who's on the chairman of the Ways and Means Committee, his uh, recent um, uh, his collegians posted recently. I got some feedback on that. So go sign up there and you'll get the uh, and go to phyllisschlafly.com. You can see all of the different speakers at our collegian summit. We will take a break. We'll be right back with John Schlafly and Chris Shimolinsky in just a moment right here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here in a Pro-America Report. Time to catch up with my friend, Chris Chemielinski. He's over at Numbers USA. He's the vice president there. Uh, always uh, great to catch up and get an update. Uh, I'm a fan of Numbers USA, as you know, Chris, and your team over there. Um, so first of all, uh, happy Independence Day week. Uh, thanks for uh, coming in to talk to us, and I hope you're doing well. I, I am. First, thanks. Thanks, and happy uh 
post Independence Day to YouTube. Yeah, that's well. right. It's it's a high. We were yeah. talking. Our, our listeners, I always, I, I should record it. I always talk off the air. And Chris and I were talking. I was saying with my family, with my kids, and everything. It's it's uh, holidays are, are are busy. Everybody's holidays are busy, but it's uh so um. But so listen, uh, over the holiday weekend, um, I was struck again by the extraordinary um American uh experiment american history of how we have uh a certain set of values a certain um kind of nation you know it is a nation with a certain kind of and that we have my own history is an example i think knowing your last name yours is one we have this history of assimilating people into the country but it's been a conscious decision and an understanding of what we're doing and, you know, in this period, we're watching the end of Title 42 and, and, you know, tens of thousands of people and we're up to a million or more over the last year or two coming into the country. And we have no sense of how well that's working. We're watching it happen in other parts of the world with violence. So, you know, it's almost shaken my head, Chris, saying, how could we do so well for so many years in this country with a vision? Hey, we're going to have people come. They're going to assimilate. It's going to look like this. And that's a vision. And now it's just a free for all. Yeah. Well, if you, if you go back, if you go back and take a look at history, you know, you look at the, the great wave at the end of the, the 1800s and the beginning 1900s where, where immigration averaged about a million a year, pretty close to what it's at now. Um, it's, it's, it's a little bit higher than that now, not including the illegal immigration, which wasn't really a problem back then. But, but you did have similar issues where it, we, we had some issues as a nation of trying to assimilate. Uh, assimilate these new immigrants into into American society. And you, you saw that with, you know, no Irish need apply here, signs like that that, <laughs> right. that you might have seen from back in the day. But then we dramatically reduced legal immigration numbers down to reasonable, manageable levels for the next 50 years. Right. And you right. saw incredible assimilation. Right. Unfortunately, our Congress didn't learn from that. And instead, they started to increase legal immigration again in 1965 and then really jacked it up with the Immigration Act of, of, of 1990 uh, to our current levels of, of about 1.1 million. And now we have this tremendous illegal immigration issue on top of it. So not only do you have 1.1 million new legal immigrants coming in every single year, but now we're talking about, you know, we we've. In, in recent years, the last couple of decades, you know, we've been averaging half a million, maybe a million illegal aliens entering the country every single year. You're talking in the last two years, two, three million every single year when you count the people that have crossed the border illegally, been caught and released by the current administration and the ones that got away, the known gotaways, when you add all of them to the list, too. And then when you add on top of that 850,000 visa overstays last year, these are the people that came legally and then overstayed a visa. I mean, you're talking millions and millions and millions of new people. I think even a nation of our sophistication, it's impossible to be able to assimilate 
and absorb well, yeah, that. And, 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 and you're not, and you're not, and I guess maybe looking back, maybe it's unfair to say that, you know, the, 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 the old days were perfect days. And so I'm, I, I'm willing right. to sort of, because I don't know, but I mean, there, there was a difference in that period where if you came to America in the, in the 1900s, early 1900s, say 1905, you, and you're Irish, you went to the Irish ghettos, meaning you went to the Irish right. Catholic churches, Italians, you went to the Italians. There wasn't this government, uh, largesse, good or bad. Again, we, that's not the debate I want have but now we're now we're not doing the now we're not doing it we're we're not a sovereign nation where we're making the decision about what we want we're just uh you know allowing anything to happen and i'm struck by the way in in contrast i over our our collegians program for the phyllis left eagles we had dominic tarzinski who's a member of the european parliament from poland and he always says we have zero illegal immigrants in poland zero but when you push him he does have lots of uh worker visas and they do have some amount immigration but they have zero illegal in other words they have a control over it and you get pretty quickly to a conversation about who you want but at least you're having that conversation my point here is we're not even having that conversation the sovereignty of the country our elected officials have decided not to have the conversation because it's either too hard i think that's part of it but for some people but mostly i think it's because they don't want to actually bother they just want to let let it let it go and they think it will turn out better on one side of the aisle just to have whatever here and i think that's what maybe the american people need to understand that's the challenge chris again i should say numbers usa i love the website numbersusa.org their website christian malinsky's our guest you know i don't i have to say does the public get it i know you guys poll on this you try to get does the public understand what's happening uh, the public does. Uh, we we do it. We do do a lot of polling and, and and try to gauge public opinion on this. And you can see the 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 mood in political opinion has completely shifted, especially um, in the post Donald Trump era and the and the Joe Biden, the current Joe Biden era. Um, attitudes have completely shifted shifted on immigration. People are concerned about what's happening down on the southern border primarily and you hear every uh, every week the administration is coming out with a rolling out a new plan in order to welcome new people here but just keep in mind number one congress has the authority over creating new pathways for people to come to the country right right Uh, and number two all they're really doing is finding different avenues for people who were crossing the border illegally last summer they're trying to come up with new ways for them to enter now so that they don't cross the border illegally because that's what ends up breaking making headlines on the front page of every newspaper across all the cable news channels so they continue to expand legal immigration but and illegal immigration right right on their very eyes you do see the public concerned about it but the question is they've got to you know will, will they go will this how will this affect their votes come 2024 will this impact the way that they vote both for the presidency and also for their members of Congress. Yeah, and Chris, Christian Malinsky, again, Vice President over at Numbers USA, numbersusa.org. Um, you know, I remember being struck at one, some point in my career, uh, I was at the state level working, um, and I remember suddenly, not suddenly, but realizing over a period of a few months how fraudulent, uh, the disability uh, effort was, where on both sides of the, of the application for disability, um, were lawyers who were coaching people on how to game the system and both sides wanted more people uh, you know the government wanted more people in that system and so workers comp was a similar kind of thing and so people game the system what you see at the border is not a 
an addressing of our sovereign need or or not need for immigration. You just have a system being game. Let's call the migrants. Let's teach them how to say you literally have, you know, nonprofit organizations who train people on the right words to say, say these phrases use this way. The other guy will know it's a magic code. You know, I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm being uh, persecuted in my home country for my be- beliefs. I feel um, bodily threatened by my um, people around me and, and magic words to game the system. And and we even have it so that the Biden administration and and let me be clear, the bureaucracies continue under every both parties, I, I think, too often to do this. And and they 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 play game the system. They're even gaming the system on the numbers. They just change the numbers. Uh, back to my question, Chris, you guys, Numbers USA is at this wonderfully, powerfully, importantly for a long time. How do we get the public to demand the change? I'm sorry to do this. I got about a minute left. So so hit it. Uh, but how do we get to, people to demand it? Yeah, just uh, raise as much awareness as possible and try to try to point out uh, ex- exactly what the administration is doing. And, the, and these people that that, as you're right, they're coming to the border illegally and, the, and they're saying that they they have a credible fear if they return to their home countries. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they qual that number one is right. true. And number two, that they're going to qualify for asylum under our laws yet we're continuing to allow them in. So we've yeah. got to make them aware of these loopholes and, and get them closed up. Well, I have to, and thank you, Chris Shemelinski. I'm sorry it goes so quick with you, and I appreciate so much the work you guys do. I, I the, the, the thing is that at every level of government, as much as I care about the school board races, as, and by the, that's impacted by illegal immigration and, and migration out of control, we've got to demand that people address this. It's got to become a central issue because it's it it, it will really devastate the country going forward all right i've got to run i'm up against a hard break we'll uh, take a break and be right back ed martin here on the pro america report we'll be back in a moment Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Checking in with John Schlafly again today. I mean, we just talked to him yesterday, but here's why. Because I was away and Ryan was talking to him. Ryan Hyde was filling in. And I wanted to talk to John because his column, uh, my mother-in-law, John, sent it to me. My mother-in-law, even my mother-in-law is reading the Phyllis Schlafly Report. The uh, John and Andy Schlafly write a weekly column. And she sent it to me and said, here it is, John. This is it. High praise. As good as it gets. She said, quote, good one, end quote. <laughs> so my mother-in-law lives in Los Angeles, California, just north of L.A., in Ventura County. She said good one. And um, so here's my first question, John. The column, of course, runs at townhall.com, our sister site, and then is archived at phyllisschlafly.com. Independence means staying out of foreign wars. Um, John, has the Republican Party completely shifted now? Is there really two wings is there a war wing and a america first wing or is that a fake i'm talking about the party yeah. now is it or, or, or where are we in this no i think it's divided uh, of course you know and the polls are somewhat mixed but i mean as far as the elected representatives i mean um leadership in the con- republican leadership in congress including of course mitch mcconnell in the senate and uh in the House, Michael McCall, the chairman right, of the right, right, powerful right. committee. I mean, I mean, uh, they're all in favor of what Biden is doing. They want him to do more. 
Well, and the, and the news that broke overnight was that we're going to do give some sort of uh, some sort of uh, they call it uh, cluster munitions, uh, sophisticated munitions that will make it a, a Ukraine easier for the Ukrainian army to so do do heavy damage. I, I don't know if we yet we're crossing a red yeah. line yet for the Russians to kill Russians. Yeah, to kill Russians. Yeah, that's right. what it means. Easier to kill Russians, and and I don't I don't want the I I don't want American uh, munitions arms to pay for killing russians i have no quarrel with the russians well but but and, so, so, uh, job, I, I job, job, that our leaders are putting me in that position but this is the question i want to ask you a matter of raw politics on the presidential campaign trail there's trump and then there's the others and of the others at least two or three of them are avowedly sort of pro of the uh old position i call it outdated but you you you're saying it's still uh possible uh, of you know this massive support for war everywhere to change the world you know haley nikki haley um mike pompeo had he run would be there mike pence is certainly there chris christie and it feels to me like that's the kingmakers the old classic phyllis schlafly term the kingmakers want uh the establishment wants uh, an ongoing uh war uh um, everywhere. But I don't think that's where the Republican Party is anymore. Tucker Carlson, Donald Trump. I got an email, John, from a friend of mine who saw the Trump rally in South Carolina. And when Trump Trump introduced Lindsey Graham, the crowd booed so loudly. My friend said, why they boo Lindsey Graham? He was there supporting Trump. And I said, because the Republican Party grassroots does not want the Lindsey Graham position of war in Ukraine. I, and I think that's broadly true the reasons why people can't win a republican primary and compete against trump include this support for war well it was certainly a you know an important event at the trump rally and i need a few more data points but uh you know that rally trump's rally was right almost in lindsey graham's hometown it was the next town over right the same part of the state and in addition to um, booze ringing out when Trump himself introduced Lindsey Graham. When Lindsey Graham came to the stage earlier, before Trump came on, he he had the, you know a ter- terrific uh, set of booze that lasted several minutes. I mean, that was really remarkable. And and first of all, the entire rally was remarkable. Yeah, it was. I mean, here's a town of three thousand. Residents and they yeah. crowded about an estimated fifty thousand people into the town square. I mean, and they came from states all around. They came from Georgia, from Texas. I mean, no other candidate can produce that kind of response. I mean, there really is no substitute for Trump, as far as I'm concerned. Um, John, I, I, speaking with John Schlafly, the Schlafly Report out this week, the column uh, available over at com is about uh, uh, international affairs, in this case, about um, the, the war in Ukraine. John, I want to go back in time. I want to ask your uh, perspective on this, um, because I think this is a, is, is a, a, a fear I have. Um, when the American uh, people were faced with a war in Vietnam and the government said we have to fight this war in Vietnam, I think I'm right in saying that it was the fear of the spread of communism that was put on the American people so that after World War II, through the 50s, into the 60s, many Americans were saying, oh, we could have a mutually assured destruction. We could have atomic war. We have to worry about the the creeping communism. And then we were told to justify this boondoggle in Vietnam, half fought war because of the spread of communism. Here's my modern parallel. We are told we have to worry about the Ukraine and we have to worry about Russia. And meanwhile, across the country, America, we have not creeping, but 
an onslaught of Chinese communist infiltration in our higher education, in our uh, business interests, in our nonprofit sector. I have to believe it's in our government sector. I don't you know, we don't see breaking news. Look at all these spies. So, you know, we're supposed to worry about Russian corruption, oligarchs and and Ukraine corruption, oligarchs, when the communist threat is not on our doorstep. It's in our houses, in our homes. It's in our America. I, I don't know if the communist Chinese could design a better set of of uh, of, uh, of factors to distract the American people from the real threat than what we are seeing. Well, it's a fair uh, uh, analogy, a fair fair analysis, Ed. And uh, uh, the the fact is that so many American powerful people and uh, financial interests and businesses have, are making money through the Chinese. Either they have facilities in China or in Taiwan, which is right next door. And in fact, you know, all of our entire Amer- economy now is critically dependent on computer chips that are made in Taiwan. Right. And that's sitting there right vulnerable to a possible Chinese takeover. And, um, no, we really have no solution to that, no alternative to that. Our whole economy would shut down if something happened to that supply of computer chips. And that's well, in addition to the uh, you know, to to the espionage, the the network of spies that they have, and and the fact that they've been able to you know infiltrate our entire country with this. Uh, well, tick down the list. There's TikTok. Yeah. There's fentanyl. Right. You know, and not to mention COVID. Now, let's just start with those three. <laughs> yeah. I mean, any <laughs> one of those, any one of those in an act of war. And yet <laughs> yeah. we, we've we've had to endure all three and others, and we can't do anything about it. Well, and that's my point. And, that, and, and I guess the, the question I have for you, John, that, that I meant the historical perspective, and we just got a, about two minutes left, is... Um, did we understand better what the the Soviet communist threat was? Did we sort of somehow know what communism meant better than we do now? Because we're, there's no real energy, which even when we realize it's the Chinese, it's like, oh, those mean Chinese. I, I don't know whether it's a sort of uh, xenophobia or, you know, uh, not not even that. It's a xenophilia, like that we don't understand what foreigners. So we say, well, the Chinese are different than us. Therefore, they're not the same kind of communists. I mean, what they're doing if, as you point out, if it were warfare, you don't have to get to the theft of our intellectual property, which is insane that we're allowing it to happen. It's our whole economy. It just, as you say, fentanyl killing 100,000 a year, COVID killing uh, our economy also, uh, and TikTok messing our kids up. I, I, it, it, why do, do Americans not recognize the communist threat? No, I don't think they do. And, and, uh, the Cold War, Ed, uh, of course, this is a little before my time, even not to mention yeah. yours, but it was incubated in a few years after World War II when people, when Americans came back from war to build a peacetime economy. And within a couple of years, boom, 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 we saw the Soviet communists exploding an atom bomb. We never thought they could do that. And then we learned that in part they did that by uh, stealing our atomic secrets. Right, uh, and then they immediately sent to take over uh, uh, the satellite nations of Eastern Europe and North Korea. Right, right. Uh, and then they started yeah. moving troops into South Korea. And you know, 
every it seemed like you know that we were being encircled yeah american people felt that way yeah you saw it you saw it better and, uh, john, yeah you saw you, you, you might be right i'm sorry john I, we're, we're out of time i got that got heartbreak uh you saw it better that may be right and we're not sort of seeing the creeping communism of the chinese but it, it, it we're also distracted by wars in other parts of the world that are are are, are, are devastating our economy and our people but all right we've got to run though we'll take a quick break we'll be right back it's ed martin here on the pro america report we'll be back in a moment this is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. As the biennial Texas legislature reached its climax just a few months ago, militant transgender protesters and parliamentary delay tactics by their allies in the Texas State House twice blocked a key vote on a good bill protecting against harmful transgender child treatments. While the mostly peaceful Trump supporters who entered the U.S. Capitol on January 6, 2021, have received stiff prison sentence as long as 18 years, favorable publicity showered the transgender militants who disrupted the Texas Capitol. The transgender activists in Texas were interfering with a vote on Senate Bill 14, a bill to ban the use of puberty blockers and hormone therapy on children. Similar laws protecting children from irreversible treatments and mutilation have passed in 16 states, while eight states have prohibited persons from using bathrooms of the opposite sex. The transgender forces also worked to stall a Texas bill that would protect women's college sports. Opposition came from the pro-transgender NCAA, which insists on using only testosterone tests as a way to pretend to protect women's sports. Don't let these rambunctious militant crybabies distract you from the common sense of the bills they're crying over. Using puberty blockers and hormone therapy on minors is child abuse. Children are too young to understand the long-term implications of such treatment, and they rely on their parents to steer them away from these destructive concoctions. Those that claim children know what they want clearly have never grown up themselves. Who among us doesn't look back on some part of our childhood or teenage years and recognize in retrospect how our parents saved us from ourselves? That's their job, and everyone knows it. The militant transgenders who shut down the Texas Statehouse are clearly no strangers to bad decision-making. However, rather than being treated with kid gloves, they should be made to suffer the full legal consequences of their criminal actions. Grandstanding to disrupt state legislative bodies from protecting our children should be punished to the fullest extent of the law. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. What's the best way to rekindle the spirit of Phyllis Schlafly and the grassroots movement she energized? In this digital age, patriots and pro-family Americans can find insight and inspiration on our website, phyllisschlafly.com. Then share your own heart and mind on social media. So join us at phyllisschlafly.com and every weekday for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Here is the uh, the news that came out on Friday. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think it was announced Friday uh, was that um, the D.C. bar, the District of Columbia bar, um, is um, 
recommending. Well, no, they, well, I guess they they delivered a ruling, and the ruling says that Rudy Giuliani, who's a member of the D.C. bar, um, should be disbarred. In other words, he should lose his law license for practicing law in the District of Columbia. Now, let me first set this up because a lot of people don't even realize. And welcome back to the Pro America Report. I'm Ed Martin, and you know, just to, just to be a basic primer for people. When you get your law license, you get it state by state. So you go to California and you say, I'm going to sit for the bar exam. You sit for it. You pass it. You get the bar, your bar license. Every year you renew your bar license. You have certain requirements um, and you keep it. Or Missouri, where I'm a member of the bar. D.C. is uh, has a bar, District of Columbia. So there are 50 state bars. There are uh, District of Columbia. I assume there's a, a Puerto Rico, uh, a Commonwealth. Maybe there's a Guam one. Every jurisdiction can have a certain way to uh, create a license for lawyers to practice. That's what the bar is, the the legal profession. And there is no federal bar. You do have to um, be licensed in a jurisdiction and then apply to practice in the federal courts. But it's the, the licensure, being a member of the bar and having a license, comes state by state and including the District of Columbia. So Rudy Giuliani has a DC bar license. So do I actually. And that allows you to practice in the state, in the state or in, the, in this case, the District of Columbia. So they recommended that he be disbarred. And the story is the disciplinary committee. So what happens is let's say that you are, um, uh, practicing law in, I don't know, let's pick a state, Arkansas, and you're practicing law in Arkansas and you get convicted of fraud. And the fraud is for say money, money laundering or something. And then you get a complaint filed against you because someone says, Hey, here's, um, this conviction and here's a complaint. Uh, I file a, an ethics complaint, a bar complaint, and you shouldn't let this guy practice law. He shouldn't hold himself out as a lawyer. And then you get uh, a hearing uh, and you get a process and you get disbarred or you get drunk driving or you get multiple uh, infractions or you fail to keep up with the rules of your license and you get disbarred or you get your license suspended. Generally, the bar is policing itself and is pretty um, lenient on the members. They say, you know, well, if you had a, a DWI, you'd get a chance to fix it. You get to rehab or something. If you had a a problem with your uh, say you had bankruptcy, you'd get a chance to fix it. At a certain point, though, you would be disbarred as a way to signal to people don't use this person as holding himself out or herself out as a lawyer. What's happened now in this country is that the licensing of a lawyer like Rudy Giuliani is being used as a way to punish them for opinions that people don't like. Because what Rudy Giuliani was effectively accused of is having an opinion about the 2020 election. His opinion, legal opinion, was that there was lots of things to challenge and therefore that you should challenge them and that you should not Give up until you've challenged them. Now, you don't even have to agree with Rudy Giuliani. I happen to think, and I didn't see everything he saw, but I happen to think he had a point. But you don't even have to agree just to understand that the system is supposed to allow its lawyers, you know, its its lawyers to go and and come up with the arguments and say, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? Here's an idea. In fact, if you're a, if you're a, 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 um, if you're a client, you pay your lawyer to come up with all the possible scenarios. And the lawyer may come to you and say, look, we've got this theory of the case. You know, you were in a contract with so and so, and we don't think, you know, we know that the, the contract said that X should happen and you should pay Y. 
Well, we don't think you should pay Y because X didn't happen exactly like they said. But the contract doesn't have all the details in it that we're relying on. So we're going to have to try to make this argument. And we, you know, we might lose. In fact, it's a long shot, but you can make this argument. You have a colorable claim. You have a colorable claim, meaning you have the right to make the argument, even though it's a long shot. That's the system. The system is that you there are experts who are lawyers who understand the system and they say, hey, this is a long shot, but this is how you should argue it. This is the possibilities. If you make it so that you're going to penalize every lawyer who comes up with a long shot, you're going to really limit the way law is practiced in a very not good way, in a way that is not a positive development. So you you are seeing now lawfare expand and extend to the practice of law, and you're seeing it with Rudy Giuliani, you're seeing it with Sidney Powell, you're seeing it with Jeff Clark, and here's the thing. The opinion that is being, for which they're being punished, is one that I'm pretty sure in other cycles other people have made. In other words, in 2018 or 2016, 2016 is a better example. There were plenty of lawyers in, in, in Hillary Clinton's camp. Some of them were in Congress who were saying, oh, no, no, don't concede. You know, this was a, not a fair election. Don't do it. Don't give up. Don't fight. There was something wrong. It's extraordinary to me that we are watching and, and watching lawyers, judges and lawyers and people that are in the system who are, are, are deciding that they're going to uh, allow and they're going to advocate for. Rudy Giuliani and others to be penalized for the opinions they have their opinions in in a situation where you, you totally want and expect the lawyers to make complicated arguments that are edgy and cutting edge to try to keep their advocacy strong. It shouldn't be criminalized. You might not hire him, by the way. You might say, hey, that's a very bad. That's that's a, too much of a long shot. And therefore, that guy's not worth hiring. He's got bad judgment, but not disbar him crazy all right we got to run out of time thank you noah dingley our producer ryan hyde our associate producer ryan hyde for filling in yesterday too we'll be back tomorrow well actually we'll be back (laughs) sorry have a great weekend next week ed martin here on the pro america report talk to you then this is the pro america report on the answer san diego Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.